Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I have a really awesome guest. Uh, her name is Michelle Mobby, and she works with fashionistas like you to help them find a better job that makes them happier, that makes them more successful, that makes them better in their career and enjoy their work more. And she does this by helping designers and developers, product developers, all people in the fashion industry, identify their strengths and then apply that to their job hunt, their resume, their cover letter, their interview process to help them get the job. She also works with designers and teams internally to help them identify you know, where people are excelling and to make everybody happier in their job. So it's very hard for me to explain in just a short introduction here. So I'm not even going to try to do that. She blew my mind with some of the strategies and concepts and tactics that she uses specifically to help designers and teams do this within, again, their job search or within their teams internally. And there's so many great takeaways for you in here, whether you're looking for a job that's a perfect match or whether you're currently working in a role that maybe isn't making you so happy and there's maybe some conflict within your team. So many of the things that Michelle talks through is going to help you identify some of this stuff and teach you how to solve these challenges. So Michelle has been working as a recruiter and in the placement industry um, for many, many years in New York City, and she knows her stuff within the fashion industry. And I cannot wait to introduce you to her and let her share all of her great insights and advice to help you find a career that makes you happier and that helps you do a better job at your job. It's a win-win for everybody. Um, As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about all of the other resources that Successful Fashion Designer offers. So we are way more than just a podcast. Uh, I have tons of books, templates, tutorials, all sorts of resources that are absolutely free to help you get ahead in your fashion career, launch your fashion brand, build your freelance business, whatever it is. And I want to make sure that you have access to all of those. The best way to get those is to give me your email and I will send you everything on a silver platter. Uh, You can do that by hitting pause on this episode right now and going to soheidi.com slash email. Again, it's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email and I will send you all of my best stuff absolutely free. Um, as always, for access to the show notes, you can scroll down by, uh, you can get those by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And one last quick ask is that if you enjoy the Successful Fashion Designer podcast, nothing means more to us than getting a five-star review and write up on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Uh, those reviews really, really do help the show. And I would be so, so grateful if you could take 30 seconds to do that if you do enjoy the podcast. All right. Beyond this, let's now jump into the interview with Michelle. Welcome, Michelle, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, Can you please introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and what you do slash how you support people in the fashion industry? Absolutely. Um, Thanks so much for having me, Heidi. I, um, I have been in the staffing and job search industry for over 15 years, coaching uh, professionals, uh, especially fashion professionals in their interview practices to find meaningful work for them. And also am a certified Gallup Strengths coach. Awesome. So let's dig into this a little bit. You said um, you work with people to help them with their interview processes. And then you also do the you're certified in the Gallup Strength Gallup Strength Coach, is that what you called it? Yeah, Gallup Strengths Finders Gallup is Strengths basically Finders, 
it's basically an assessment uh, for individuals to help them identify their strengths and then to go through a coaching program with a coach to help them overcome uh, certain challenges in the professional setting. Okay, gotcha. And so would that would it make more sense to talk a little bit about, um, you know, strategies for interviewing and interviewing practices first or the strengths finding first and then lead into interviews? What like logically, how would how would it make most sense to run this conversation? Well, in a way, they're kind of very closely married together because hopefully whatever job someone is applying for has been clearly thought out um, before the application process that they've clearly identified what it is they're looking in a job and that that job that they're applying to is really closely aligned to the strengths and what it is they want to be doing. Okay. Um, so that if you are operating from a place of strength within your work, you are going to be more productive, happier at work, and um, happier overall in your life. So they are pretty intertwined. So I'll let you lead and and I may just pepper a few things in from from w- whatever makes most sense if that if that works. That absolutely works. So I'm going to throw this curveball at you. Sure, <laughs> go go for it. <laughs> um what I see a lot happening in fashion and I imagine you have seen this too over the years, it it is known for being a very competitive space. Um all sorts of variables go into that. But what I tend to see is a lot of people, they can get to the point of just applying for every job. It's not so mm-hmm. much of this focused, I'm going to th- look for something that I'm going to be really strong and productive at. It's like, I'm I'm kind of willing to take whatever. So mm-hmm. how would you address, let's start with that sort of mindset. Like, how would you talk s- someone through that? Sure. Uh, You know, and and I think this actually goes across all industries in a job search. If you really want to be successful, throwing, you know, spaghetti on the wall to see what sticks is not really the best strategy. It may get you a job, but it might not get you a job you're really happy with. And the likelihood of um, finding the right fit is, is is not as strong when you approach it that way. Really, the best thing to do for, for a job seeker is to clearly identify what it is that they want to be doing and to make sure that they, first of all, clearly also understand from a very tactical point of view what goes into that job. So whether we, you know, we all think we, you know, designing is so great and we may be talented at it, there may be aspects of a design job that really don't fit with our actual personal strengths and over time may cause us a lot of frustration for, you know, for not having strengths in those areas. So we can think that, design is one thing, let's say before going to school for design and then getting into the real world of work and then understanding that it comes with a lot of different components that may not be as glamorous as they look uh, from the outside looking in. So to really understand what it is you're going for, then understand how you're going to bring value to that role and being able to then articulate to the employer where your strengths come in, you know, whether it's it's a detailed strength that you know or, or where you've had strength in your previous jobs and and can apply that to to a new position. Yeah. So can we talk to this um, concept of identifying what you want to do and what your strengths might be in two ways? Mm -hmm. One is the... let's label them as like maybe the person who's a little uh, fresh out of school, doesn't have a lot of experience. They might not really understand all the different roles and capacities Mm -hmm. in the industry versus someone who's been working in the industry for 5, 10, 15 years. Um, What are some some tips that you would give to those two very, very, very different audiences in terms of identifying what they want to do and like where their strengths might be best used? Sure. Um, and I think that's it's great for, for anyone who's embarking on a new job search to do that and to really sit with themselves and ask themselves some hard questions. So for a uh, someone who's right out of school entering the workforce for the first time or has relatively little experience is to really network and ask a lot of questions from industry professionals. Find people who can serve as a touch point to really give you inside information on what goes into a specific role and what makes someone successful in that role. Then to benchmark that against your own desires, the skills you want to be using, the strengths you want to be using, and the environment you want to be in when you're at work. For more seasoned professionals and those that have a lot more work history behind them, it's really important to start looking back and evaluating areas where you had success. 
what was it that made you successful in a certain role or made you achieve, uh, you know, something that was, um, you know, very highly lauded at, at, a, at a workplace where you have had a lot of success so that you can start to break it down and start to name it. You want to be able to give name to the things that you're able to bring to the table that cause you to be successful, whether it is something as simple as saying, you know, that they're analytical skills or that they're relationship driven skills or that they're creative, um, creatively founded skills. All of those things are great. You know, a lot of times we don't think of relationship building as being a skill set that's really valued in the workplace. We think it's more, you know, um, social sciences and, and things of that nature. But when you're in any position within an organization, especially a leadership one, you have to be able to build relationships, especially um, interdependently with other cross-functional teams that you may be collaborating with. And if you can't build those relationships, you won't really have much influence to get your points across or to persuade people to see things your way and to get things done maybe the way you need them to be done. So being able to highlight that that relationship building skill is is something to be valued and that it has brought you success is really something um, something to consider and not to be, um, I guess, easily dismissed. Okay. So if I'm new to the industry, doing some networking and really just starting to ask a lot of questions about the possible roles and then comparing that to some of my strengths. And if I'm seasoned, then analyzing times in my career when I have been really happy and I have been really productive and then pulling out of that, okay, what were some of the tasks and skills that I was putting to use in that time to figure out what should be the next step in my career? Did I get that right? Absolutely. And, you know, I will interject just a little bit of strengths philosophy in here because I do think it's really important to delineate is that um, the the psychology of strengths really assumes a few things. And it assumes, number one, that you will accept that you will be good at certain things and not very good at others. And a lot of times it's hard for us to either accept that we're not good at something or to really recognize and know and clearly be able to articulate what those things are that we're really good at versus the things we're really not good at. You know, we kind of go through our daily lives and work just doing kind of what needs to be done. But if we think about where we get most of our energy from, what gives us our motivation and what really drives us, Two people could achieve similar success within a given role, but not achieve that success through the same behaviors or through the same motivations. So that's where strengths philosophy really differs from traditional, uh, let's say, personal development or performance management theories. Traditionally, it's, you know, how do I improve myself? Well, I look at the areas where I'm deficient and I try to improve upon those to become a, a more successful individual. Whereas strengths training, or strengths uh, finders theory really approaches it from the the area of what am I really great at and how can I invest in those skills to make myself exceptional in those areas? Yes, I may need to improve or manage my weaknesses in a certain way, but let me manage those through my strengths rather than spending so much time focused on improving my weaknesses that I really don't ever make my strengths exceptional in any way. So those are just two different you know, approaches. And, and I think when people take the strengths approach, it's very freeing to allow yourself that comfort of saying, it's okay that I'm not good at that. I don't need to be good at that. I can actually either partner with someone else who's good at that, or I can develop my strengths and attack this issue from my sense of strengths and actually become successful, regardless of not having the same skills that someone else does. Yeah. Okay. This is resonating with me huge because... Oh, good. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm going to give you a quick example in my own business. So within Successful Fashion Designer, I've been running this business full-time for about five years. And I just literally this summer, um, so summer of 2019, a few months ago, discovered, and this was through a mastermind group that I'm part of with six other women. We know each other really well. We've been working together for three years. We get together twice a year. We talk all the time. We know our personalities, our businesses. I just now discovered that I am really, really good at like executing the day-to-day -day and getting the to-do list done and taking action, but I am terrible at like big-picture strategy and thinking outside mm -hmm. of the box. And that took me five years of running this business on my own and then three years working with a group. And it was because of this group of this mastermind group of women that I work with that I was able to identify that. So 
I personally can relate to like how hard it can be to identify your strengths and then figure out, okay, you know what? I am really good at this thing. I'm not so good at the big picture. So I'm actually thinking about hiring a consultant to help me with the big picture. But like, I I guess I'm thinking in terms of it was that hard for me to come to this conclusion. Mm -hmm. So people out there listening who are in the job hunt, what are some of the tricks or tips or advice that you could give in terms of helping them understand and really dig into what are my strengths? What am I good at? Because I don't think it's as easy as just thinking about it and then, oh, I'm really analytical or, oh, I'm really good at relationships. Some people may know it, but I don't know. For me, it wasn't easy. It's it's actually not easy, and I'm I'm so glad that you shared that. You know, you're in a unique position as you know an entrepreneur running your own business. You can have a lot more control of what you choose to delegate than someone who's you know employed and has a boss to answer to. Yeah, who is expecting them to perform in a certain way and to deliver things in a certain way. So honestly, the best thing that you know organizations can do is to invest in strengths coaching for an entire team and for a manager to manage through strengths, which can really shift the whole dynamic. But once that happens, there's a lot more productivity and and a lot more happiness and less conflict and frustration uh, within a team. But for an individual to really try to identify his or her strengths, you know, without doing a formal assessment um, is to think about Number one, just what are the things that people thank you for? Generally, when you're at work and you're working collaboratively with with, um, someone, usually you get thanked for the same thing over and over again. Is it your communication skills? Is it the fact that, you know, you you are the best pattern maker out there? Uh, You know, one of my friends used to work for Kay Unger and she was, um, she was a head designer. She was not, she was great at draping, but she was not good at drawing. And so she would just drape everything. And maybe she is really great at coming up with designs that sell to a specific market. You know, I mean, obviously those things may be a little more apparent because you've had great sell through and things of that nature in certain markets. But if you think about where you get your most joy, what is it? that people thank you for? And when do you feel like you're actually in flow? What things do you do that when you finish them, you say, gosh, I wish I could do that again. When Uh can I do that again? You know, and I think if we all got to do that at work, (laughs) we'd all be a lot happier, myself included. But it's, um, it, it, it can be difficult to identify. And those are things that you may talk to your boss about too, to say, you know, I'd love to see what you think my areas of strength are Mm -hmm. within this team, within this role that I'm in. And how do you think I can further develop those? And then see if that resonates with you. I think, you know, pretty well, you know, when, when you're asked to do something and you just cringe, you know, it's really hard to sustain working against your strengths. So just to give you an example Um, we actually, you know, in Gallup language, basically identify or or define a strength by a skill that can be productively applied that produces consistently positive results. So it's something that you can actually lean on. And, you know, time and time again, that when you do this, you produce good results and you obviously as a result feel good. But if you're constantly trying to overcome something, let's say one aspect of your role that really is not in line with your strengths, let's say it's, you know, keeping an organized spreadsheet of, um, you know, as you're developing a product and being organized with the product development process, maybe you're really great at the creative side of it, but the organizational side of it is not, um, not your strong suit. You, you know, let's say your boss comes to you and say, you know, you, I really would like you to try it this way. Could you try to organize things in this manner? Maybe it'll help you. So for the first two weeks, you're really on top of it. You know, you're, you're keeping your records and, and you're, you're marking everything down in your spreadsheet. And then after a few weeks, you kind of fall off and you don't have that consistency. When you do things that drain you over time, they will actually um, produce less of a quality result because you're, you're fighting your own energy to, to produce that result and it will drain you over time. So I, I always do this exercise where I have people write their name five times, uh, with their non-dominant hand and everyone, you know, thinks, Oh my gosh, this is so awkward. It doesn't feel (laughs) right. Right. And let me ask you, if you, if you had to work not just one day with your left hand or your non-dominant hand, but 
a whole career trying to overcome that, think about how much stress that causes. Yeah. You know, it's not going to become that much easier. And actually people find that as they keep writing their name over and over again, their, the quality of the writing becomes worse because they're concentrating harder, they're slower. And and then when they just try to rush through it and do it and get it done, it's just, um, much worse than when they started. So there's like a tire, a tiring effect that, that becomes evident in the work as well. Gotcha. Okay. So I love this. So, um, ask, uh, thinking about what things people thank you for on a regular basis. And then I love the idea of like getting feedback from your boss. Um, it's something I teach my freelancers is like, ask your client for feedback, ask where you did really well and ask where there's room for improvement. It's such a great learning opportunity for you. And the same Mm -hmm. as, and the, and the client, or in this case, the boss is really going to respect that like, wow, you're looking to improve or identify what you're really good at and how can you get better? Um, I think there's a lot of value in those conversations or it could be some coworkers or, or or what have you. Um, I, so I'm curious about some of these things, you know, so for the example you used was the spreadsheet, right? Like, oh, I can do Mm -hmm. it for a couple weeks and I fall off because I'm, let's say, organization is one of my weaknesses. Uh, But unfortunately, jobs are not as (laughs) pick and choose as like, well, I'm not that organized, so I'm just not going to do it, right? Uh, Right. So how do we... You know, because you said earlier, um, you know, accept the things that we're good at and accept the things that we're not good at and and focus on getting better at the things we're good at and, you know, maybe not focus so much on the things that we're weak at, which I get on on many levels. Um, Like if you're not a hand sketcher, as you mentioned earlier, which I'm actually terrible, um, then why am I going to try to do that? I can sketch an illustrator. Great. So that works. But, you know, certain things within a role we are just required to do this. And so sure. what are some like ways that we can overcome some of those hurdles and, and challenges with the things that we're not super strong at, but we just got to do at the end of the day? Right. And that's a great question. And it's not always easy to put into practice. So there are a few things that you can do to kind of at least make these drags on your time and on your um, kind of level of enjoyment at work a little more tolerable. So if, if let's say the organization is something you have to do, maybe doing it at the end of the day when you're exhausted and most of us put those things off, Mm. uh, to, you know, to the end of the day, we don't want to deal with them. We come to work, we're fresh, we're excited. We don't want that to be the first thing we do, but actually doing it when you have more energy, because it will take you more energy to do Uh, is probably a good idea because if you're doing it at the end of the day, once you've exhausted all of your mental energy, if this is something you're not naturally strong at, you will probably make a lot more mistakes. Yeah. Um, So that's one strategy is, uh, I forget who it is. I think it's Brian Tracy, but just eat that frog. (laughs) You're supposed to do the things you don't (laughs) want to do first, get them out of the way so that the rest of your day can be filled um, in a productive manner. Gotcha. The other things that you can do are to think about um, you know, in strengths finders, there's a list of 34 strengths that have been kind of pre-identified that most people have and that make most people successful. Now, having one or the other, uh, you know, in, in any combination is not a recipe for disaster or success. You know, they strongly urge people to understand that there's no recipe for success. Every profile, every strengths profile is, is, you know, great and capable of achieving anything that someone puts their mind to if they use their strengths in the right way or if they collaborate with the right people. So uh, you may need to collaborate with someone. That may be something where someone on your team gets a lot of, um, you know, excitement out of analyzing these numbers or being very detail-oriented and organized, and they love it. I mean, I I have people like that on my team, and I marvel at them. Like, how do you do that? Because it's not my strength. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes you may may be able to reassign certain things or say, is there any way we could collaborate on this? Um, otherwise, maybe you're going to get your motivation to do it from a different place. Look at your strengths. And one of the strengths is uh, responsibility, which means, you know, I'm a person that when I say something that I will do it, I do it. And my, my motivation, I'm actually driven by that sense of responsibility. Someone else may 
may like to cross things off their list, not because of the sense of responsibility, but because they're an achiever type. Mm -hmm. And that achiever just loves to be productive. So they might not like what they're doing, but their sense of being an achiever really pushes them through that. So if there's any way that you could identify any of those aspects um, where you could draw motivation to say, okay, I'm just going to like put on my achiever hat and just cross through this and get it done rather than letting it drain me as much as it could. Those are just some tactics, but ideally what would happen is within a group setting, um, you know, within a team, everyone on the team hopefully becomes aware of what their own strengths are. I mean, this is in a more formalized process, but that they become aware of what their own strengths are, as well as what the strengths are of the other members of the team. And sometimes um, a manager will end up reassigning tasks or rotate tasks or share them, uh, you know, among people based on these kind of open discussions that come out of uh, how best you can partner with people or share uh, tasks given your strengths or how best to delegate those given people's strengths and what people actually say about how they operate. Yeah. I interviewed someone on the podcast before, and I'm blanking on who it was, but they were in a role where uh, multiple people were in charge of sort of keeping their line list up to date and tracking all of the submits from the vendors and all that sort of stuff. And then at one point, their boss realized that, like, they were really, really good at that. Like their inputs were always perfectly accurate and, and that individual loved doing it. And then everybody else was like, this is a pain in the butt. I'm always making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so luckily the manager realized that and and recognized it and took initiative to change it and gave that person all the responsibility of like, hey, you just keep the line list updated. Nobody else has to worry about that. And it worked really well, right? It's more productive for everybody. Um, so hopefully you're in a position where you could either initiate that conversation or like you said, go through this um, strengths finder analysis with your team and maybe reorganize a little bit to not only make people happier in their jobs, but overall increase productivity, decrease mistakes. Um, I mean, so many benefits I can see from that. A hundred percent. And actually one of the things it really does also is um, increases the level of understanding and communication within the group. Ah. So most, most of the times when there are conflicts at work, it's rarely because someone does doesn't know how to do their their job or they don't have the skill level to do their job well. But most conflicts come from interpersonal relationships or misperceptions, Mm. right? So sometimes even a strength that's overly applied, let's say, can be perceived as a weakness or can hinder you. So every strength, whether you have a, a name to your strength or not, it doesn't matter. But every strength can have what they call a balcony, which is its high point where you're at you know, using it to its best of its ability or a low point, a basement where it's really hindering your ability to function well with other people or to get things done. So for example, if you are that, um, that achiever person and you just want your deadline driven, you just want to cross it off your list. You may be, um, more apt to, let's say if you're overusing that strength to ignore some, concerns by other team members and to brush them off and say, no, no, you know what, this is good to me. And I just want to get going and I want to keep, keep moving things forward. So I'm going to cross it off the list. Um, one of the examples that I give that I resonate, that resonates with me is, you know, someone who's really creative, you have a lot of creative ideas. And I know this happens in fashion a lot. People want to implement a lot of ideas. And then there's someone else who says, well, have you thought about this? I'm not really sure how that's going to work. And it sounds like they're a naysayer and they just want to bring you down. And a lot of personal conflict comes out of those two different personality types. But if you actually appreciate that they have a strength that they're utilizing in that moment that you may not actually have yourself, the two of you can come together to say, you know what, I've got these great ideas. What do you think the issues are going to be with them? Throw them at me so I can work them out. And then when I go and present them to, you know, the design director, I can have a, a much better argument for why we should approach things this way as opposed to another way. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. And I think that that can maybe feel like a scary conversation to approach your boss with. I mean, I guess it depends on personality type, but I as someone who, you know, I have a team member and I've done some hiring and have done a little bit of management of people, um, I would be super excited and super thrilled for one of my team members to come to me with that conversation. I'd feel amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's very empowering. And hopefully, you know, this has become a little more uh, prevalent. I mean, Gallup is pretty much very well recognized within organizations. So yeah. people already have it somewhere in their consciousness, whether their organization uses it or not. But being able to empower your team members to communicate better and to work, you know, well together and to accept that you're not going to have the same, not everyone is going to operate in the same way is, is really refreshing and very freeing. And I think makes, makes people very much more apt to be accepting of the other personalities on their team that where they may have had conflict in the past. Now that instead of seeing it as a conflict, they see it as an appreciation of that person's strength. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not all, you know, let's all hold hands and, <laughs> and all get along <laughs> as a result. I mean, yeah. kumbaya, yeah, it doesn't, it's not meant to be that way, but on a, on a real professional productivity level to appreciate that other people are going to bring things to the table that you may not, and to not let necessarily the way that it's delivered cloud your judgment of what's actually being said. I mean, obviously, you know, we've heard that, like, don't, don't kill the messenger, you know, listen to the, you know, if you don't like the messenger, you may still need to listen to the message. But usually this, this brings about just greater understanding so that those kind of thoughts of, oh, Sally, you know, she always shoots down my ideas. Why is she always so negative? It's a little different. You know, now the shift is, oh, Sally, I get it. Sally just operates that way. She needs it. She gets her energy from asking those questions. She's not trying to personally derail my great ideas, which, you know, without those conversations, we all generally think that, you know? Yeah, no, 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 that's so true. And it's easy to kind of feel misunderstood or to have a different perspective on the situation if there's no discussion behind it. So those, those conversations are priceless. Quick interruption in this episode to let you know that if you're enjoying this conversation, I have tons more resources and advice for you on freelancing. I am running a program starting in January of 2020 called Successful Fashion Freelancer, and you can get on the wait list to hear more about that program when it opens, and you can also get my ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer, absolutely free. Just go to SoHeidi.com slash freelance. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash freelance. I will send you all the details on the program when it opens, as well as the free ultimate guide. And if you miss the January 2020 window, you can still go to that webpage and sign up, and I will let you know the next time that program opens. All right, now let's jump back to the conversation. Um, so can we bring this back to, I mean, I love like Mm -hmm. digging into this in terms of the actual workplace, but can we bring it back to, so how do I apply this in the job hunt and the interview Mm -hmm. process, right? So I've identified my strengths by going through the various exercises that you've mentioned. And now I'm, I'm in the job hunt or I'm thinking about embarking on the job hunt. How do I one, maybe identify roles that are actually going to help foster those strengths and where I'll be able to use those strengths and then to strategize with that with those strengths in the application and interview process right so that's a great question and um certainly one that most people <laughs> want to know when they're job searching yeah. so you know it, it kind of goes back to also doing that research right we all have a, an idea of what certain jobs are even if we're in the industry sometimes you know you may or may not think you, you may or not may not have an accurate idea of what it really goes into someone else's job if they're really removed from from your department. So being able to clearly identify and ask people within those roles, um, you know, at your organization or through your own personal networks, what makes people successful and what strengths or what um, skill sets, let's just say, even if that means an interpersonal skill set would make someone successful and to make sure that those are things that resonate with you. So that's number one. But in a job search, you know, the thing about strengths is that you, you know, whether you've done a strengths profile or not, your strengths, the way they come together is about one in 33 million. I mean, that's how unique every person's results are. Wow. So, so really embrace that and look for those things that make you unique, that you can speak to clearly, have clear examples of how your 
whether it's your creativity, whether it's how your analytical skills or, you know, the, the creativity that you bring to product development and being able to be a big picture person and look, look at, you know, what's coming down the road or to have a strategic mindset. How do those things really impact your role? You don't have to sell yourself, um, as someone who's strategic only when you're in a strategic role. Strategy is a great skill to have, and it's very valuable in just about any role. So whether you're in, you know, the, the design role or whether you're in a product development role or whether you're in a straight up, you know, e-commerce strategy role, those things, um, those, those skills come into play. So there's gotta be a way for you to be able to articulate it. And really what, um, what is lacking in most people is the ability to articulate it because they Mm. haven't spent enough time digging to be able to really understand where their value comes from, how they can apply it into a new role and to be able to talk about it in a way that really brings um, confidence to the interviewer. Yeah, I can see that being a challenge. I mean, I'm even like imagining myself going into this situation and feeling like, oh, what do I, how do I actually say this? Um, so, well, that's yeah, what do like, you do? I mean, well, you know, because you practice, you have to practice. Uh, and that, that goes for anyone interviewing in any, any role. I mean, I've coached um, executives who don't interview that often. And you think that someone in their position would be so articulate and have such a handle on what it is they do. And we all understand what we do on this visceral level, right? We think, oh, of course, I understand what I do. I know how to how to tell explain it to someone. But when you're in the unique position of interviewing for a job, you have to get so specific with how you're skills allow you to be successful, to show where your value comes in, to show the successes you've had and the thought processes that go into you creating, whether it's a design plan or a strategic sales plan or whatever, to be able to show how you've been able to um, achieve the results you have, right? So in a way, you have to think about the so what. And I tell this people to people when they're writing their resumes, you know, people write their list of responsible fors. I manage a team. I'm responsible for design. I set, you know, um, all of the contracts with our vendor negotiations. And I source, you know, I source all of our materials. Okay, so what? Like, that's not a thing. That's a job description. But what you want to put down in a resume is not your job description. But what are your job results? What are the results of you being in that job? So how was your sell through? Um, How was, you know, how were sales increased as a result of your product development and the analysis that you were able to do in the market? How did that come into play? So those things are really important to kind of get a handle on. And as you think about the so what and what has made you successful and why it's positively impacted an organization, your strengths will slowly come out of that. You'll start to see patterns of analytical thinking or Mm. connectedness, being able to make connections between seemingly disparate bits of information, but you're able to see things in a different way that impacts design strategy or the sales Mm. strategy of the organization. So it's, it's being able to link those things together and find a few common threads. And you don't need a lot of strengths to be able to show those off. You just need like two or three really good ones. Oh, okay. So it's almost like I'm kind of doing multiple things in tandem. I'm thinking about what are things people thank me for? When do I really feel like I'm in like an amazing flow in my work? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wrote it down. Where's the third one you had said that was so good? Um uh, oh, asking your boss or maybe some coworkers for feedback. Then I'm also going through this process of, okay, maybe I start out with the I'm responsible for this, 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 and this, right? And then you said, okay, mm-hmm. well, that's really a job description. So take each one of those bullets and say, so what? What were the results and the benefits of that? And once I maybe make that list, I can start to map this out and I'll see some, like you said, some threads. And mm-hmm. I might be able to start identifying two or three things. Absolutely. But it comes down to the research and really digging in and analyzing all of this stuff together. 
Exactly, because what's really going to push one candidate ahead of another, let's just say you're you're competing for a role with three or four other, you know, you've made it to the final round, let's say with three or four other candidates that have just as much, uh, you know, just the same qualifications as you do. Um, you know, they've had a great track record in their job, but what's going to put you over the edge? It's going to be the way you communicate your value. Yeah. You know, it, the, the resume can only communicate so much, but once they see you in person, when you're able to really clearly articulate what your value is, that will land with the interviewers and that will have a lasting impact. And so does that really just come down to practicing or like, what am I doing? Am I practicing in front of the mirror? Am I practicing an interview with a friend or like, what am I actually doing to get really good at that articulation? So when the moment is there and I'm, like you said, one of those last candidates, I can be the one to win. Right. Well, if you are disciplined enough and dedicated enough to the process (laughs) to do this self-exploration, um, it's certainly quite possible to do it on your own. But if you're not as disciplined or you're feeling a little lost through that process, you may need a coach or a friend who is in HR. Let's say if you have you know, friends that work at other organizations in HR or who are hiring managers at other fashion companies who can tell you kind of what they look for, what they ask uh, their candidates when they, when they interview people. And, and have them really tell you if your answers are resonating with them or not, if they're okay. really full. The more specific you can be, the better. And it's through part of the reason why practicing is so important and that exploration of the so what is so important is that when you're going to explain um, you know, things off the top of your head, let's say, it's hard to remember what you did in a job three years ago in specific detail, right? Yeah. You, you could in two sentences say what you did and there were some great results and sure, I, I was able to do X, Y, and Z, but how you did that, when you get asked very specific questions like, tell me about your, um, how you, how you set up, you know, you, you have a, a, a directive from the creative, uh, the creatives at, at the company and as a, uh, product development specialist, how are you going to take that and, and go through your process, explain how you did that at XYZ company with this one specific product uh. where you had such great sell through you may not remember those details and you may not even be asked the question in those specific terms, but the more specifically you can answer, if they ask you to talk through your product, uh, through your process, it's through that practice and that exploration that you start to remember the details. Mm -hmm. If you think you're going to remember them on the spot when you're asked, um, (laughs) you know, to answer that question in an interview, you will probably not give the best answer possible. Your answer may still be accurate, And it may still be impressive to a certain degree, but it won't be as strong as if you've actually kind of relived your work experience and and, and have gone through this evaluation process to really assess it and be able to communicate it in specific and concise terms. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think it's, it sounds like it comes down to, you know, like you said, working with a coach or looking for someone who's in HR, maybe a friend in a hiring role and understanding what are these questions and then genuinely doing some deep digging and preparing those answers in advance. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, when it comes to like searching for the jobs. I know you mentioned, you know, you do a lot of networking and you talk to people and you try to understand like what, what does this specific role entail? Um, but I imagine we're not going to find job description. I mean, I haven't looked for a job for over a decade. So this is, you know, I have an idea of what job postings look like, but right. um, it's not something I'm very seasoned at. Um, but what are, like, I imagine the job description is maybe it'll say like analytical and organizational skills. I feel like organizational skills, like, I feel like that's on probably every job posting. Right. Um, but it might... I imagine it's probably not going to really scream these top two to three strengths that I've now identified in myself. So I guess I'm just kind of going based off of what I understand of the industry for that specific role or what I've learned from talking to other people for what that specific role requires and strengths. 
Yes, definitely. I mean, you, you want to be able to speak to whatever is on that job description and, and the more specifically you can do that, the better. There's always an opportunity for you to weave in additional information, even if it's not asked for. Okay. Um, and it, and it's not like you're going to take them off tangent. You have to make it relatable and, and related to what they're, they're asking but you could, you know, if they asked you something about product development, let's say, or your creativity and design and where you, you know, get your inspiration from, you may, you may talk about certain things. Um, and then maybe, maybe being, um, let's say a researcher is a strength of yours, right? Maybe being a, a learner and a researcher, you're constantly learning, but they're not asking for that. Maybe your inspiration comes because you are someone who constantly learns uh, about things and different processes, and you do a lot of research on how things were designed in the past and the different um, the different styles. You know that you 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 go through those archives of of footage to find inspiration. I mean, I think that may be something very common that I'm just pulling out, but just to show you that research isn't necessarily related to creativity. We all think that creativity just kind of comes to us, but if you can show that, um, that fact that you are a research makes you researcher makes you special and it actually makes you excel in what you're doing. And because maybe you're learning constantly different techniques or the fact that you learn other things. Like maybe you, you're taking a different type of design class that's not related to fashion, but it's um, graphic design or architectural design. And maybe there's something in that, that that you build a lot of inspiration from or things where you can find elements of those things that have, um, what's the word, impacted your sensibility. Then, then those are those are ways to show your other strengths off and show how they impact you and make you unique. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was really enlightening for me because, um, you know, I always teach people brands as from a design perspective and not even just from a design perspective, from, from a creative design perspective, from a technical design perspective, from a product development perspective. And you even mentioned it earlier. What's your process? So your process mm-hmm. and what they might be asking for you to be in the job description is we, you need to be creative or you need to be very technical for technical role. I mean, these are very obvious statements, but maybe something different than that. But beyond that, like you said, how do you weave in the before, during, and after parts of your process, and it might not be that strength that they were asking for, but research from a creati- creative perspective is huge. Brands want to mm-hmm. know, oh, I love going to the library and looking through all the archive photos of fashion history. For some brand, that might be the magic thing that they're like, oh my God, this is the person we have to hire. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that extra bit of initiative that comes from, you know, really, if you boil, it boils down to passion, right? Yeah. And where your strengths are really going to lead you to your passions in one way or another. And so it's bringing that in. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm understanding, I uh, mean, it's, it's like unfolding in such a beautiful way. It's, it really, <laughs> it's becoming like so clear in my head. Um, But what about, so I I see how to talk about it in the interview and how to prepare Mm -hmm. and practice for that. How do we present these things in a cover letter letter slash resume? I mean, I know you said instead of talking about what you're responsible for, talk about what are the results and the benefits of the things you've done over the years. Um, Other than that, are there ways to sort of weave some of this in to the resume and the cover letter to stand out from the beginning so we can even get our foot in the door for that first interview? Sure, absolutely. And I, I, I'm glad you asked that because I did want to uh, mention something else that I think will tie into this answer, um, which is always remember what their problem is. You know, you're there as a candidate to solve their problem. So if you solve it in a way that is even a way that they've never thought of before, even if it is just from, let's say, um, a research perspective rather than just a, a creativity perspective, right? If you're able to bring that element in, you're going to make yourself look like a stronger candidate. But in terms of the the resume, you, you generally there's a profile summary, just like in your LinkedIn profile, and that's really valuable space where you can commute, commute where you can communicate yeah. all of this um, great information about basically 
how you are a problem solver for whatever problem your job solves. Okay. And so that's really where your value, you know, comes in and where you can highlight your strengths with a, with a strong foundation in, you know, in research and, um, and continued learning, my design sensibility has evolved and has positively impacted uh, organizations focused on kids' wear, men's wear, and and women's, you know, lingerie. I mean, who, you know, something like that. Okay, so then we're just kind of in our cover letter threading in and summarizing some of those things that like, okay, in the job description, they didn't say you need to be a good researcher, but I feel that's very valuable. It's one of my strengths. It's something that's helped me excel in past roles. So just weaving that in and and hoping, I mean, I guess hoping, I know you said, you know, always remembering what their problem is. I think on some level, we can identify the problem that your job solves from Maybe if you have the experience in a past role, um, but is there any way to sort of know on a deeper level, like the brand that you're going into to interview for, like what is the exact problem that they're trying to solve with this new hire and how can I talk to them on that point in advance before I even get into the interview and I have the opportunity to even ask them that? Sure. There may be some opportunity. And so that sentence that I kind of just made up off the top of my head, that was really something that you would put in your, um, in your, on your resume as your professional summary in the cover letter. Okay. In the, in the cover letter, you really want to be a little more, um, I want to say personal, like really let your voice, your personal voice and your personality shine through a little more. It's really where you're trying to make a personalized connection with the reader. So bringing and, and and the cover letter is a great place not to relist everything that's already on the resume <laughs> but where you show them where your drive is coming from you show them what you're passionate about as an individual but primarily also why you're passionate about their brand and their organization and so when you do those things you may know why if you know let's just say um I mean, I guess, you know, for, for lack of something, uh, better and maybe more specific, every company, you know, specifically in, in fashion, you know, they, they want to increase sales. That's, that may be, uh, you know, what, there's no other pro- bigger problem than how do we get more sales? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that may be, and, I, and I'm really simplifying this right now, but you know, that may be something that you put in, in the cover letter in a sense that, you know, you know, the, the, the age old, the age old problem in retail is how do you sell more? And I believe that these skills that I have, uh, you know, have positively, um, have enabled my previous organizations to increase sales by, by 20%, my passion, my creativity and, you know, X, Y, Z. And I would love to do this for your brand. Your brand has been on my radar for, so long ever since you launched this product, you know, be specific or ever since you came out with this collection, I knew that this was the company that I wanted to, to bring my own sensibility to or something like that. I mean, I, I made up a lot off the top of my sure, head sure, there, sure, but, of course. but hopefully does that, does that kind of show a little bit of a, of a, a process of how you would make the connection and yeah. how you could bring your, your talents in and how you could might be able to identify a problem. So yeah. if, if it's in product development and you're, you know, that generally, um, companies have, have issues in these specific areas, whether it's, um, sourcing the right, you know, materials at a cheaper price or whether it's, um, whether it's uh, negotiating better contracts with vendors, things like that, you know, you can generally tell what the, at least what the generic problem is. If there is a very specific one and you're coming in to motivate and, you know, you are making a company that was seen, uh, you know, designed for an older audience now trying to make it more young. And if that has been written up in the press, then you may, you may make note of that. You may say, you know, I realize that for the last, you know, two years, you've really been trying to attract a younger audience, and this is where I excel. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So, I mean, I think, like you said, there are those obvious problems. Sometimes it's like meeting de- meeting deadlines and getting development done and delivered on time, or you know, from a technical designer's perspective, it's like making sure the product fits right so that mm-hmm. we decrease returns. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, 
And so, but then I love this aspect of like, and I, I'm, I'm going to emphasize this because it's something I see a lot of people not doing, but doing a lot of internet stalking of the brand before you mm-hmm. apply. And so, like you said, maybe you saw this like press article about them, or maybe, you know, someone within the company is, is pretty active on LinkedIn, like read what they're posting and read what they're sharing. And you can probably dig some stuff out of that, but thoroughly going in and doing your research so that that creates talking points for you and that gives you some interesting insight. It's very obvious and I, I know if you know I said I've hired for roles before. It's very obvious when you get a candidate who hasn't done any research on you versus one that has. A hundred percent. I mean just to give you an example, I had a candidate who was um, applying for a recruiter role at Hugo Boss and so and she has a long history in fashion. I mean she she used to be in um, merchandising and she would, and, 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 a bot, and buying. And she, before her interview, she went on a store visit. Um, now, th- you know, hopefully that comes to, you know, naturally to just about anybody um, in fashion. But if it doesn't, you know, you better make sure you go to the store and see what it's like to interact with their brand, not just online, but on a, you know, in-store experience, you know, that's going to inform a lot of what you do and how you present your experience in the interview. And, you know, ironically enough, someone in the store, I think one of the salespeople said, are you from corporate? Um, (laughs) so she, she looked the part, she played the part well, and she said, well, no, but I used to be in corporate, you know, elsewhere. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, you know, just all that to say that doing your research and going on site and, um, you know, experiencing the brand, the product, the showroom, all of that is really important. Yeah, it, it, you know, I don't think it comes naturally to most people because based on what I've learned in talking to and working with job seekers, as well as the people I've interviewed on the podcast, um, it doesn't, unfortunately. So, Listen, you guys, dear listener, <laughs> go out there and do your research. You have to really understand the brand, even just for the interview. Like, it's not, you're not just going to show up and get the job and then you get to know the brand. Like, it does take a lot of legwork. And so that's where I think it comes down to, um, and I know this isn't something we touched on, but I imagine you encourage people to, like, identify those jobs that are really a good match and it's going to be fewer jobs. Mm-hmm. then spend the time to do a quality job, quality, uh, I guess, quality job applying for that job. Um, yes. It's quality over quantity here, right? Finding the good match and then doing an exceptional job in your application process. A hundred percent, because, you know, that's the best way to ensure that you don't end up in another job search in a year or two. Yeah. Right. You really want to make this a lasting um a lasting move. I mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be there for the next 20 years. I know that doesn't happen anymore, but you don't want to be in a situation where you're miserable because you just took the first job that came along and you applied to everything and anything being so open and then find yourself in a situation where you're really unhappy and you have to conduct another job search. You know, you want to conduct another one because you're ready for the next move, not because you're unhappy. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that that can sometimes be easier said than done, depending on what situation you're in. You know, if you get laid off, of and then course. finances can become challenging. Um, but I do think it's so important to figure out a way to wait for that right role. Like maybe you take some freelance gigs in the interim before you commit to a full-time job that might not quite be right. Because like you said, gosh, going through that again in six or 12 months, it's tough. It's not, oh, it's, it's a tough. lot of work. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, just to reemphasize, you know, the, the importance of doing the research and going and interacting with the brand and not trying to necessarily learn the brand after you, you accept the job. I mean, obviously there is going to be some learning and a lot more learning that happens once you, you accept a job about a brand, but being able to clearly speak about their brand, their competitors, where they are in the market, place, regardless of what job you're applying for within that organization is going to be so key. And honestly, I don't think there's any industry, um, that is going to be more sensitive to people's personal understanding of brand more than a fashion company. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, 
Wow, Michelle, this has been amazing. My brain is like exploding with all <laughs> these cool ideas and strategies and personal like I love the self-development stuff I'm, I'm a big nerd in that way I'm like always thinking about like how can I make myself better and I think that so many of the things that you shared and went through today is is really really important in that aspect and it like you said it helps you find a better job it helps you do better in that job you're happier your boss is happier it's like a win-win-win on so many levels um, so so much for people to dig into here and, and do some self-analysis and then put into practice in their life, whether they're job hunting or they're just trying to do a better job at their current role. Tons of value. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, where can people connect with you and and work with you on a coaching level if you know they're thinking, gosh, this sounds really great. I'm going to try to do it on my own, but it's not really working or you know, whatever that looks like. Um, what's the best way for people to do that and find you online? Sure, absolutely. Well, I am working with Atrium Staffing, and I would give you a title, but I don't have an official title anymore. <laughs> this is what happens when you you go after you know different areas of strength, and you know sometimes you get lucky and don't even know what your title is, and just get to do a lot of stuff that that is fun. Yeah. Um, other than the other than the Excel spreadsheets and organizational <laughs> stuff that does not come naturally to me. I'm a big but, spreadsheet um, nerd. <laughs> yeah. Self-proclaimed. You, you and I should team up. Yeah. Um, so, um, at atrium staffing, if they go to, um, atriumstaffing.com, I don't believe the link is navigable, but I will send you a link that, um, that you can share with your audience it, about our coaching services. Okay, and perfect. they can also contact me at, um, Michelle or M. Oh gosh, I'm like forgetting my own work email. I'm like my personal, my work email. They're so they're so closely aligned that I mix them up. It's M Mavi. So M is in Michelle Mavi at atriumstaff.com is my email for anyone to contact me. Okay, perfect. And we will link to both of those in the show notes. Um, and I do believe you, if someone does want to work with you on a coaching level, there is a um, So Heidi discount, successful fashion designer discount. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay, perfect. So you guys can just mention that you came from the podcast and Michelle will hook you up. Um, and I will end with the question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. Um, and that is, it's a little different for you since you don't tech, I mean, you kind of, you work in the periphery of the fashion industry, but mm -hmm. um, what is one thing people never ask you about working on the periphery of the fashion industry that you wish they would? Um, one thing that they never ask me, hmm. Oh, Heidi, you've thrown me for a loop. Oh, I, wish I, <laughs> I throw everyone through a loop, but this inspired, you, you do. This is, I've, this I've is, been this asking, is a good question. it is, you know what? I've been asking it since episode one and, um, most people get thrown through a loop, but it ultimately winds up inspiring some really amazing answers. So I know I put everyone on the spot with it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. <laughs> this is, would you like to come to our sample sale? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the question. I wish more of the people that I work with in fashion. And, you know, because I'm on the periphery, ask me. Yeah. I wish they would ask me, would you like to come to our sample show? Oh, I would love to. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is the most original answer I've gotten to date. Is that? I love it. And it's so true. No. It's so true. No. Yeah. Okay, people. So invite Michelle. You're in New York City. So I'm boy, in New York City. I, I know. And now people have your email address. So I hope the invites start flooding in. Please. Um, please. I'll go to everyone's sample sale. I'll support <laughs> all the brands. I love um, your answer so much. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> That was beautiful. That was such a thank great you. note to end on. Well, thank you so much um, for all these great insights and everything. And as I mentioned, we'll link to all the resources in the show notes, you guys. So um, thanks for joining us, Michelle. Oh, thanks. It's always a pleasure, Heidi. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you so much to you for listening. Uh, quick disclaimer before we end this show is I always try to be as transparent as possible within the successful fashion designer business. And I want to let you know that uh, if you do wind up working with Michelle uh, for her coaching services, 
to help you identify and find your strengths. Uh, We do have an affiliate arrangement. So what does that mean? It means that I get a little portion of the fee that you wind up paying to work with her. It doesn't cost you any more money. In fact, when you reach out, if you are excited to work with her and chat more, um, mention that you heard about her on the SFD podcast through So Heidi, and that actually gets you a discount. So it doesn't cost you any more, um, but it does put a little bit of money into the SFD business, which helps support the podcast because in case you didn't know, podcasts are not free to run. There is expense and money that goes on behind the scenes to make this happen. So full transparency, I am an affiliate on Michelle Services. Um, beyond that, thank you so much to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing behind the scenes, as well as my right-hand woman, Tara, who makes sure that the show gets published and out to you and helps coordinate the guests and does so much work behind the scenes. Again, as I told you, a podcast is not free to produce or create. There are a lot of moving pieces and parts, and I could not do it alone. So thank you so much, Mark and Tara, for all your support and help. And again, as always, thank you to you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. As a quick reminder, SFD is way more than just a podcast, and I want to make sure that you have access to my best free resources. I will send them all to you if you go to SoHeidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Drop your information there, and I will share all my best resources absolutely free. If email is not your thing, I also hang out on Instagram, and you can find me there at SoHeidi, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I. All right. And last thing, one last thing, I'll squeeze it in. Uh, If you do enjoy the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, we do love getting your reviews on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Uh, They do go very far in helping the show. So if you can take 30 seconds and give us a review, that is always super, super appreciated. Um, As always, to check out the resources mentioned in this episode, scroll down to find the show notes wherever you're listening. Thanks so much again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast podcast.